Guy here from the Blood Red team. Hope you're all well and sorry to interrupt, but we just got a quick message for you before you get on with the episode that you're listening to. And while we don't have any football right now, here at Blood Red, we have got our own transfer news to let you know about. From now on, our podcast channel will be hosted on the Global Player app. Well, what does that mean? Well, don't worry. If you listen to us on any other platforms like Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Acast, that's fine. But to get our pods quicker than anywhere else, you might want to download the Global Player app as our pods will be on there before they're released on any other player. The Global Player app is available to download on iOS and the Google Play Store or wherever it is you get your apps from. You can also find them at globalplayer.com. That's all from me. I'll let you get back on with the episode that you're expecting to hear. This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Welcome to Friday's edition of the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I'm Guy Clark and three fine colleagues alongside me to talk through the latest LFC talking points. We're going to get into UEFA's release on sporting merit, what that means and just how it might play out in the Premier League. We're also going to talk about the Reds' teenage sensation Harvey Elliott as well. as Some ongoing transfer links through the week too before we round things off with a very different team selection this week. Alongside us, our very own nomad, Mr. Ian Doyle. Doyley, how are you? I'm okay, yourself? Yeah, not bad, thanks. We've got uh, Alan Partridge on the bookshelf this week, and I suppose that's quite fitting, is it? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you told me there with that question. <laughs> that's all right, no worries. Ian Doyle's had his own shave and gone for some facial hair, but Theo Squire's still championing the uh, cause of just absolutely growing it out. Theo, how are you, mate? I'm good, Chris. The more you mention it, the more it's not getting touched. So keep going. Can't keep wait. Keep protesting. Can't, can't <laughs> wait for us to get back to the office and see what it looks like then. And Kiva, how are you? Very good, thanks, Guy. Brilliant Where's stuff. Where's your facial hair, Kiva? Shaved it off. <laughs> <laughs> Great start to the podcast. <laughs> Let's get into things straight from the off. We'll go into the uh, announcement from UEFA yesterday, them talking about sporting merit and how effectively they want to see UEFA uh, European qualification for cup competitions solved in however the 2019-2020 uh, season can be brought to a close. Doily, this term sporting merit all of a sudden seems to have become the buzzword. Yeah, well, it's two words for start. Um, and <laughs> sorry to pick you up on that. Uh, I think I think basically the point that, that we everyone's read from the UEFA statements is that they're essentially saying we don't want any season to be cancelled. There's no reason for it to happen. They are obviously looking at it from the point of view of European qualification, Champions League and Europa League, because they're already, well, they still have to finish this season's competition. They're looking to next season, trying to move it forward and seeing who who gets through. And they would rather places be given by the you know the league individual domestic league associations to teams who've achieved something through uh, as you say sporting merit, i.e. doing something on the pitch rather than you know calculating some numbers off the pitch to do with stuff that's happened in the past. I mean, there was a story knocking around earlier this week that perhaps if they did it on you know the old coefficients over a certain amount of years, that Arsenal could get into the Champions League, and that got knocked down straight away by this UEFA statement. I think they are people. I'm perhaps misreading this slightly because it is just to do with European qualification. It isn't to do with relegation or promotion directly. But obviously, if you if you take it through to its logical conclusion, it surely must do if the Premier League and the, you know Syria and La Liga and all of those leagues that have still got a fair bit left to play. And unlike in Germany, who I'm sure we'll mention in a bit, 
there's some suggestion they could be playing in two weeks. They're a long way further down the line than any of these other leagues. So there's still a chance that you know the Premier League doesn't get finished in the way that we're used to. But as you say, the UEFA uh, statements where they're talking about sporting merit suggests that there will be a way, whether it's points per game if they don't play any games, whether it's playoffs if they can only play a certain amount of games. And it does open the, up, up the the possibility of there will be some you know dead games, dead rubbers towards the end of the season. They just might not get played. To be honest, it's, if, if there's games, say, mid-table teams that it doesn't really matter either way, they may not get played. I mean, that's not ideal, but what UEFA have done is they've given all the leagues, including the Premier League, the opportunity to, to make these decisions and it won't affect them as long as the teams who qualify for Europe and by definition win the league and get relegated, it's been chosen by what happens on the pitch. Yeah, interesting point as well. And even as you said, the dead rubble, we don't know how finances in the game are going to change. But if a side, I don't know, say got to 40 points and then had a, a little run at the end of the season and climbed five places, that would be worth £10 million to them. So, I mean, they might want to, to play those out. Kiva, on this sporting merit idea then, it, as Doily says there, it is based around European qualification for club competitions for next season. But of course, it would stand up for, for Liverpool should it then be the season being resolved that actually, A, the league title is won and hopefully it's given true reflection in just how far and how far and above Liverpool have been to the rest of the Premier League. Yeah, definitely. The, that tweet I saw the other day, someone, I can't even think who'd done it, and it was basically like, you know, everyone's moaning about like if Liverpool get handed the title, but Liverpool are the only team who've qualified for Europe next season and I don't think it's something people are really thinking about. Um, in terms of, you know, what a, an incredible season Liverpool have had. And I don't think any sort of, you know, any decision that is made, I'm thinking, you know, Liverpool would rightly be deserved the title and wrongly, um, you know, not be given it. That would that would be the wrong thing to do. Um, I'm just kind of a bit fed up of it all now. Is anyone else a bit bored of the whole conversation? Because it's the only conversation we can have. Um, it feels like the only sort of news when we're just clinging on to we're just waiting for these these lines to come out from these meetings and it just feels like we're not really getting anything and that's obviously because it's just such a you know use the, the buzzword unprecedented time and you know we're just waiting and waiting now aren't we um i think the the whole thing about germany and the bundesliga coming back into into play just seems like i know they've they've been battling hard against the coronavirus and you know wide, you'd, wide, widespread testing. I don't know if that's helping them or keeping the, the number of deaths down. But, um, you know, fans want to see the return, don't they? But obviously um, not before all this is sort of sorted out because, you know, I think that's the main thing, isn't it? Yeah, certainly. And Theo, it's all around sort of having natural conclusions to seasons. UEFA saying in that statement that they'd hope that the manner in which this can all be resolved would facilitate clubs obviously being able to qualify on that sporting merit and hopefully as Doily said before it might even be an introduction of some kind of playoff system but I suppose for Liverpool and Liverpool fans eyeing that 100 point target and even trying to surpass that and get more points than Man City had done in 2018 that's obviously now looking as though it's very much on the back burner the, the situation's taken that out of hand but I suppose it is somewhat of a, a frustration that Liverpool have put three months uh, sorry got all the way through to, to March they've gone three quarters of the way through the season and all of a sudden that place in the, the record books like that might be denied um, I think you've got to remember where Liverpool have come from and the fact it's 30 years they've been waiting to win this league title if you'd said to them at the start of the season that you're winning it on the last day, 
on goal difference, last kick of the game, you'd have taken that. No Liverpool fan was bothered about breaking records, uh, going unbeaten, all these other added stories that we've seen across the season. They just wanted that league title one. And they've deserved it. The fact that they're only six points off, they're they're really unfortunate they've not already won it. So whilst it might be a little frustrating when you're looking back at it in years to come saying, oh, there was a real chance to break every single record going, you've got to see the context of what else is going on here. And at the end of the day, Jurgen Klopp, the players, it doesn't matter whether they win it by this record number of points or they just sneak it or it's given to them on a technicality. They've deserved the league. They're going to win the league and they can go to bed knowing they're Premier League winners, hopefully within a couple of months. The only way that Liverpool can't win the league now is if they lose nine games and Man City win nine. So the, the only, I think it's, it's fair to say that Liverpool are the only team that can beat themselves to the title now. All the talk of voiding and cancelling it's not going to happen, I don't think. Pretty sure it's not going to happen. So bad news for West Ham and Tottenham and teams like that. But, uh, you know, good news for Liverpool and, and Leicester and, and to, to a certain extent, Man City. And obviously we've seen the lockdown extended in sort of the last few days into sort of another three weeks. We've been in this situation now in terms of lockdown over a month now, over, over four weeks of it all being going on, yet we do sort of read, and as you alluded to even before, Doily, that in other countries they're beginning to try and make tentative plans and steps towards returning behind closed doors. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I think, as Kiva said, Germany, there's a reason why Germany are far ahead compared to everybody else. When you consider that Germany's a bigger country than the United Kingdom as well, and has got more people living in it, they're slightly fortunate in the fact that they acted early and they've got you know, this is the home of so many pharmaceutical giants that they can test. I mean, there's there's an awful lot of reasons of why it is, and we could be here all day debating those. But going back to the football, it'll be interesting to see what happens when the Bundesliga does start, because while they've, I think they've said May the 9th is the date they want, that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen then. But it looks as though they'll start before everybody else. It's what people make of watching games, because there'll be no fans there. What people It'll give people an idea or, or a chance to kind of get used to the fact that they'll be watching a different kind of football. I mean, the rules are the same, the laws are the same, you know, everything else is the same, but no fans there. And it'll be, it's, you know, I'm sure we've all watched loads of games in the past where we've gone, you know, with, or played in them where there's been no supporters, you know, no one's been watching really, apart from like about three people. And, it, you know, it, it's, it, in that sense, it's nothing unusual, but it will be weird to have these, you know, massively well-paid players, you know, fighting for something that's so important to so many people. And there'll be nobody there, but they'll all be, uh, sat watching at home or, or well they should be sat watching at home but uh, it will you know the, the German league I think as I say is leading the way Spain there's some suggestion that they could restart in June but you know, it, it's, as you said guy you know the government's locked it locked us down for another three weeks I think it was last week I wouldn't be surprised if there's another three weeks on top of that that takes us through to almost June and then well I'm not saying football is a special case because there are other sports. You know, you look at the likes of rugby union, rugby league, cricket season would have started. All of these sports are, that are reliant on fans coming through. You know, okay, to a lesser extent, the, the, the Premier League clubs, but you go down to League One and League Two, they're still you know, having the debate over what they're going to do. I mean, this week, the National League decides to just end their season. So the reason for that is because there's, there'll be no fans at the games and no income. And there's, a, there's lots of other sports that's in the same situation. So... It won't go on forever, but quite how and when it's going to restart in a way that we can actually watch, whether it be on television or be or there, it's you know it's entirely down to the you know the, the advice that the the government are getting from whoever they're getting their advice from. So 
know, I think it's it's just a waiting game. I know Kiva's getting a bit bored talking about stuff about the the league, but for <laughs> us, it's, it should really be quite good because it's the only thing that's actually happening. So we're actually able to talk about it. But the reason that no one knows is because nobody knows. Simple as that. It's waiting for that first team to act, isn't it, with Germany? I think there was talk there that they might stay behind closed doors for all of next season. The fact is that football is going to have to go to basics when you're taking the fans out of it. And it's just being appreciating it that we can actually see 22 men kick a ball around again and just enjoy the sport. I can say that I've, I've mentioned this to, I think, speaking to some people before, that there's absolutely no chance that the, the whole of next season will have no fans. No chance whatsoever. And I'll tell you why, because if there's no fans in the game, that means there's no fans at any other sport. You know, Premier League teams, as we just mentioned, they can continue. Most of the others would go to the wall. Almost all the other sports would as well. You, by definition, you wouldn't have any pubs and restaurants open, so all of them would disappear as well. You'd also lose your shopping centres because nobody could go to them. And then suddenly you re- you'd reach the point where you'd go on cinema as well. You couldn't go there. Or the theatre. So you reach a point where you go, what is the actual point of us doing anything? So this is that's the difficult, you know, for minds greater than ours, that's when someone's going to have to make the difficult decision. What's more important, the people, you know, people's health short-term or people's health long-term? It's got nothing to do with football, but it just happens that football is one of the things that we're obviously more interested in the most and we're all just waiting to see. Yeah, we got into a, a bit of a, a rabbit hole there in terms of the situation and, and just how bleak it could perhaps look. Thanks for that, Doily. Let's... <laughs> My point is, is that that won't happen. So the people who are saying that it's going to be another entire season without fans, no chance, no chance. We heard it here first. Let's move on, though. Let's move away from uh, the bleak prospect of, of what we're in right now. And let's look ahead to the future. And one man who could certainly shine for Liverpool is Harvey Elliott, Kiefer. And he's been speaking with the assistant manager, Pep Linders, in an alternative way of doing interviewing. But it, it was quite interesting that Pep Linders was the man who was given the responsibility of doing Harvey Elliott's first senior interview with him. And I suppose it, it, he came across quite well and had a fair bit to say, did Harvey Elliott? Yeah, you can't get the staff these days. You've got to uh, get your you know, your coaches out and get them to uh, interview. No, I think it was quite a, a quirky and fun interview. No way and done done the story from it. Um, but you know, he looks like definitely like the bright thing uh, at the um, the FA Cup match, the derby against Everton. Like, my mum doesn't know every player and I took her to the game and she was just like, we were in the main stand and obviously he was on the right wing for a bit, I think, in the first half. And my mum pointed at him and she was like, who is this kid? Who is he? And I was like, Harvey Elliott. And she was like, oh my God, he looks like he's going to be a player. And like, considering her football knowledge is okay. She just saw in him something and was like, he's going to be good. And I think that kind of... That, for me, just was like, yeah, if my mum's saying it, she can see it, and she doesn't really know what she's looking for almost, um, then he's, he's definitely going to be a star. She's going to walk in in a minute like, what? <laughs> see, what did you say? <laughs> um, so I remember, obviously, that. I always think about that. Um, um, and then in the interview, I think the line that stood out was Sal's message to him in the in the gym, just, you know, keep, like, do the next weight up, like, work a bit harder. And I think that sort of gives us a little bit of an insight into Melwood and, you know, how the dressing room is. Um, and, you know, the the older lads sort of pushing the younger lads coming up. And I think, you know, they must all see Harvey. I've, I've been at open training a couple of times and he, he, he doesn't look out of place at all, you know. Um, and, of course, like the older players must see in the younger players who they think, you know. I mean, they wouldn't be training with this world champion 
team would they if if the manager didn't think they belong there um so they definitely do um he, he's definitely a bright spark and I mean, I can't believe he's still 16, to be honest. I feel like we've been talking about him forever. Um, and if next season all gets, you know, gets back underway, normal as we can, then we'll see a lot more of him. Yeah, incredible to think that at his age, I know he's just turned 17 and sort of eligible to, to signing a, a first professional contract. But it is absolutely mind-boggling, Theo, that this is a player who could, for the best part of a decade and a half, have a career at Anfield obviously should it all go well for him yeah it's the reason why Liverpool fought so hard to sign him isn't it like when you sign a player that young and you're putting them almost straight in the first team they're gonna have a bit about them aren't they and like we've seen all these young players in the past for Liverpool where there's been a lot of talk about them and you've watched them and they've sort of been on the edges of games they've not quite taken off but they're still talking you've still got that hope that expectation I'm thinking like um Harry Wilson Ben Woodburn there's potential there, but they've not quite done it in the first team. And that's why they've had to go out on loan or drop it down to the reserves again. Whereas Harvey Elliott, I think the first time everyone's seen him in whatever game it was, it's like, wow, he's 16. He's got something here. And it's the same with the, the players who are in the first team this year, who are that young. It's like Nico Williams, Curtis Jones. Those are the reasons why these players are in the first team, training with the world champions, working so closely with Jurgen Klopp and why he rates them so highly because they've got to have a bit more about them to make this impact in the first team. And we've seen in the past where it's perhaps been easier for youngsters to get the opportunity and then the circumstances of games gives them minutes and then either up to it or they're not, they fizzle out a little bit. You have to be at the very top of your game and almost judged as a senior player straight away to get the chance just because of how good Klopp's Liverpool have become. And the fact they've got three or four young players, Harvey Elliott being the lead one who are doing it, just testament to the work the youth coaches are doing and the talent that is coming through. And no, Doyle, he's a player you rate and have seen him playing for, for the youth sides as well. But I suppose it, it speaks volumes that as soon as he came in to the squad during the summer from Fulham, that he's he's been in and around that first team training picture at least, by and large, for the whole season. Yeah, I mean, he came and he, he got given the, I think it was up at uh, Murrayfield, the friendly against Napoli. Uh, he came on towards the end, and straight away you could you could see well he's he's going to have no problem in terms of confidence on the pitch at least. Um, off off the pitch, he seems a nice enough lad from you know seeing him around and listening to what uh, Pep Linders had to say today, and also actually just listening to him speak. When you consider that he's only just turned seventeen, and he was you know he, he seems quite grounded. So I know his family uh, tend to watch him when he's playing the under twenty threes at, at the academy. I've seen them there, so. He's got everything there for him to to have the basis to make the most of the talent that he's got, which, as Theo was said, is just every time you see him play, everyone who sees him for the first time, Theo said, you just go, who's this? You know, he he's reasonable, you know, like whether it's Kiva's mum or whoever. You know, everybody just thinks exactly the same thing when they see him. And that's quite rare. And it's hard to then try not to go overboard with him because the reality is he's played, what, about six games for the first team, if that. Um, one of them was about for about a minute in the Premier League. He's, he's got himself a he is a world champion because he got he was on the bench for the club World Cup game, so he's got that medal. So you know he started his career by being the best in the world. So <laughs> I'm not sure where he goes from that. But uh, yeah, you're right. There are a number of players who are coming through at Liverpool who you try not to put too much on them because, as Theo said, we've had many in the past where they've shone very brightly, very. You know, for a very short amount of time, and then they've not even gone on for careers in in the Premier League. You know, they've, they may have to drop down the divisions, and that's perfectly fine for these players because they've got a career out of their chosen profession. But in terms of Liverpool, they need players who 
you know, they are European and world champions. It's it's a very difficult team to get into. And the fact that, you know, the likes of Harvey Elliott, Curtis Jones, Nico Williams, they're being given an opportunity. And there's pl- lots of players, apart from them, such as the ones who played against Shrewsbury, that, that you think you'll see them a bit more next season. I actually think you'll see them if the games get played this season. And we've mentioned this in the past, that there's such a quick turnaround of games that, if Liverpool have already won the league, they'll, you know, these youngsters will play. They'll be, they'll be playing in games. They'll be given a chance. In some ways, weirdly, it might be better for them to be playing these games in front of no fans because then there's no expectation on them in terms of on the terraces or in the stands, I should say. And they can get used to playing at that kind of level, that tempo, because it's totally different playing in the first team. It is playing at the, the under-23s. And, and Kiva, what Kiva hasn't said, is that she got an exclusive chat with him at Tramia, didn't you? Yeah, that's to be fair. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he hadn't even signed and uh, posing for pictures with the Echo's best. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, what I will say about him is, you know, you think about these these pl- like players who've come through and have all this. I mean, it's it was all, always going to be more pressure on them because Liverpool didn't sign anyone. It was only him, Sepp, and obviously Adrian Lonergan come in. Um, that pressure was always going to be big anyway, you know. Especially when, you know, the things he'd done at Fulham, the records he broke there. He was like, what, 15 when he when he featured for them and went, went into school the next day and was doing exams and stuff. Like, just that's fairy tale, you know, proper just madness, really. Um, what I will say about him is he just seems like a player who will cope with that kind of, pre- not pressure to him. I think he, he'd sort of... He's so confident and the way he plays, he's got that bit of swagger and I feel like he's a player who can, some players can just absorb that and, you know, take it with them and I feel like he'll be one of them players and that's that's a quality that you can't really give. You just, you know, he, he's just got it in abundance. It's always harder with the younger players as well because the really talented ones, like Harvey Elliott, thinking back to Stephen Gerrard, Michael Owen this far back, they're small when they come through, they're young and they're playing with kids that are two, three years older than them. You get hype about young players, the ones that beef up early and they're absolutely dominating the level and they'll get pushed up just because they've matured a lot earlier than the rest of the players they're playing against. That's not been the case with Harvey. Look at him and he's still a young kid, but he's so confident on the ball. And I think he said in this interview today, he's fine with the first team because for practically his whole career as a teenager, he's been playing against people that are two, three years older than him, having to be used to being bullied off the ball and trying to retain that, show them up however way he can and get every little advantage. So he's already got the attitude there and the mentality to deal with it. And that's why he can easily go straight into first team training and be up against, say, a Virgil van Dijk and not look too out of place. Granted, he might not win too many one-on-ones or in the air against van Dijk, but it's a great learning curve for him. Yeah, far cry from what I was up to at 17, driving a J-Reg Vauxhall Nova with a manual choke and only four gears, but hey-ho. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. In terms of what he said, though, Doyle, as well, one point I wanted to, to just sort of bring up was the role the experienced players play, the likes of James Milner and primarily Adam Lallana, because, of course, we know that his contract's coming to an end and likely to leave. These guys are there on the training ground doing the stuff that we don't see, obviously, on the pitch, although it was quite visible, I suppose, against Everton in, in the derby at Anfield, the role the senior players took that day helping the youngsters through. But just that, I suppose, that professionalism that rubs off on the young players, like Harvey Elliott, like Curtis Jones, just teaching them the, the little nuances it takes to get right to the top. Yeah, that's right. I mean, before we go any further, you had a car when you were 17. Yeah. That's, that, that is some going, that is. Well done. Do you have a car? 
<laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, going back to your question, I think it's interesting because it's easy for him to say, like, I want to be like Steven Gerrard and I idolise Mohamed Salah because I just imagine most people do, whether they're in the, the squad or just watching in the stands or growing up following Liverpool. But it's that he comes out and they all say it, that, you know, it's James Milner. It, it's not saying that... It basically said that everybody helps, but there are certain players in particular who, who specifically help. And it's Lallana, it's, Mil- and it's Milner. And Milner we know about. We know about when they played Shrewsbury in the FA Cup. He was um, there in the crowd behind the dugouts and he, back in the dressing room after the game. We've done stuff on him in the past. With Lallana, it's interesting because, you know, it's fair to say he's not exactly the most... In fact, Milner, to an extent, for most of his Anfield career, wasn't a, a huge favourite, universal favourite uh, amongst supporters. But in the club, they've always valued him. I mean, Klopp from the very start, he would rather... I think, well, he basically said for, for Milner, as long as he's at Liverpool, Klopp, he'd said there's always going to be a place for James Milner. And I think he would probably say the same about Lallana, but the exception being, I think Lallana's a couple of years younger than Milner and he probably thinks he can get another couple of years out of his career. This is Klopp talking about Lallana, by the way. He probably thinks that Lallana can get a few more years out of his career. And while he no doubt want him to stay for another year, at least, it looks almost certain he'll go at the end of the season and he'll get himself a good move. I mean, with the teams that have been talked about him, Leicester City, they'll be in the Champions League. So we're talking about a player who can do a job at the very highest level. But in terms of, you know, what he offers around the training ground, you know, we've, we've seen it. We've, we don't have to be told if we've actually seen it ourselves. You can see it in some of the actions. You can see it with the way they interact with the younger players. And Lallana played a, a lot of games in the League Cup this season. So these are players, people who've been down the journey that these youngsters have been down. You know, Mohamed Salah's had a completely different journey, Sadio Mane has, but these are people who've come through clubs in England. So that's why these players, the youngsters coming through, can relate to it because they've come through the academies, they've had to deal with first game in the Premier League, you know, deal with the media, the spotlight, and all of this kind of stuff. Because it's not as though Milner and Milan are, are bad players. At the time, Milner was, was he the youngest goal scorer, the youngest player in the Premier League history? You know, Lallana... He's always been highly thought of, certainly on, on the South Coast when he was coming. You know, I think he came through at Bournemouth, was it? And then he went to Southampton. Um, so they've always had this expectation. So they know what it's like to deal with that straight away in their careers. And then also to then cope with it changing throughout their careers. So they're just trying to obviously benefit Liverpool, but also make sure that these young players get the best start they can possibly have in their careers, whether it's at Liverpool or somewhere else. Funny because you think 15 years' time we're going to have James Milner and Adam Lallana, Premier League managers, Curtis Jones, Harvey Elliott at the end of their careers in that senior role. And it's going to be all these coronavirus babies there trying to break into the first team at 15. They're putting the arm around the shoulder, bleed, um, giving them all this experience and wisdom to try and get them in the first team. Harry Kane will still be the young player of the year, though. <laughs> <laughs> No, certainly. And I suppose even on Lalana, as Doyley was saying, Kiever, he's, he's a guy who, talking about that professionalism and the fact that some youngsters will go on and maybe not make it at Liverpool, but have careers elsewhere in the game. Adam Lalana, someone who, after coming through with Southampton, was playing League One football and knows exactly what it is like, obviously playing even down at that level of the game. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you look at Adam Lalana taking the step to Liverpool, you know, an important one in his career, but a massive decision for him to make. You know, he was, I think he was captain, Southampton, wasn't he, at the time? And, you know, he's won it all pretty much with them on the way up um, to the Premier League. And I feel like, you know, that was the next step for him to take. And obviously he took it. So I feel like when we're mentioning that experience and the advice, 
from players like that, it's just it's just so crucial that the that young players are getting it because obviously even just things about like you know, you think Harvey Elliott will be looking to break into the England first team one day and that kind of advice he will be you know, maybe won't ask outright, but Milner and Lana will kind of know what they would have wanted someone to tell them and probably what they got told at that age, which would have probably been a little bit different to what the players are, are getting told now, probably a few more swear words and whatnot back in the day. Um, you know, because Milner come through, didn't he mention like cleaning boots? He was of that generation where now, you know, these kids aren't cleaning boots. They're just, you know, people are cleaning their boots, which is, you know, just, just nuts, isn't it? If they're not cleaning their own. Um yeah, I think, what was your original point, Guy? Because I've, I've gone off. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, to be fair, you're not sort of too far away in terms of Lallana's upbringing and playing down at uh, sort of League One level. And as you say, I, th- I think Milner, probably of that last generation, really of, of cleaning boots. We'll, we'll move on and just quickly wrap up a, a couple of transfer lines from through the week. And Doyley, we spent a lot of Monday's podcast talking about free transfers, whether Liverpool would now all of a sudden be looking at signing free agents and the like. I'm mm. beginning to wonder whether Michael Edwards and the guys at, at Melwood listen into the Blood Red podcast because immediately, a few days later, there's links with Chelsea's Willian. Yeah, I think it's more the other news outlets might be listening to our podcast than Michael Edwards listening to them. Um, uh, but, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, well, true. To be fair, true. But I don't think it'd be okay. Even if he was listening, I don't think he'd be picking up transfer tips from us. Let's put it that way. Um, but yeah, but Willian. But now, now, there's no need for that. Um, you might be on the other side of the world, but there's no need for that. Um, uh, anyway, William, yeah. William, yeah, I'm told that that's there. I mean, it was just reporting Brazil said that Liverpool were in contract talks. To me, straight away, it smelled a little bit of an agent drumming up interest. And as far as we know, it, it's the thing, as far as we know, Liverpool aren't interested in him, right? But we know that this is such a strange time in terms of the transfer window. No one knows what's going to happen financially, how much players are going to be worth, whether a lot more people... We've done this before. It's almost like you can't completely 100% rule anything out because anything could happen because everybody's looking at creative solutions to, you know, what will be transfer problems, you know, holes in the squad or replacing players like we just said, Lalana or possibly Shakiri, whether he goes, that's another thing. We've, we've done this before as well. So, as I say, at the moment, Liverpool... I've no interest in William, and I'll be given the fact that Neely signed him seven years ago. He's a bit of a different player now to what he was seven years ago. And if he can't get in the Chelsea team, you know, why, why is he going to get into the Liverpool team? Yeah, unbelievable that it was seven years ago, 2013. But but that was on the same day, though. There's noises coming from Timo Werner's camp again, Theo, saying that he's ready to join Liverpool. He's not any player in the world ready to join Liverpool right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty much why every single player that's a free agent, if they've got a little bit about them, their agent's going to be saying, oh, Liverpool want him, feeding that out, just because they want their names linked with Liverpool. And Timo Werner, we've been hearing this for, what, a year now, that he wants to come to Liverpool in one way or another. And it's always when the sound bites are a bit quiet, that, oh, there's another one coming from his camp, talking up a move, wanting a move. And it just so happens to be at a time when Liverpool are not in a position to make a move because of everything that's going on at the moment. So it's almost, I'm still here, I'm still available if you want me. Not quite a come and get me, but he's getting his name back out there. And it might not be that Liverpool make a move because of all these circumstances. But if you're another club that are interested, you think, hang on, we need to make a move here to get him if Liverpool are interested. It's just agents playing the game, part and parcel of football. 
is it not though, Kiva, one of those where it begins to become maybe, I, I don't know if desperate's the right word, but a, a little bit desperate from Timo Werner, where all the noise is coming from him. It doesn't strike as quite like how Liverpool do their business, that this is, as Theo says, been rumbling on for a year even, if not longer. And yet we're probably no further down the line than we were when the initial links came through. Yeah, I think um, it was nice when he was first talking about Liverpool and Klopp and it was like, oh, yeah, I like this. He was sort of, you know, flirting a little bit with the club. And you, you do like that because, you know, we're not always used to that with, you know, like, say for Fabinho, for example, there was just not, not an even there ever, was there? And then the next minute, this this midfielder signed where, you know, I think because we've had such a good season... I think transfers have been kind of put on a back burner. And then because Liverpool are doing so well, it's, and now there's no football, that's all we can really talk about, isn't it? Um, but when Theo was speaking then, I was thinking it is getting a bit desperate now. I, if you're, I don't know, maybe it's just so keen on the move and Liverpool have sort of like now in a position where they're not, not willing to sort of make a move because it is such a weird time. Um Maybe he's getting a bit worried because he does want to play for Liverpool. Like, I want to play for Liverpool, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, don't know. My agent's been trying his best, but we'll see what happens there. I'll give you the exclusive when I get it. Um, What's your mum was your agent? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, I don't know. It is a bit like you kind of... I just like the secrecy of it and little hints and tips of, like, people following people on Instagram and stuff, you know? And like liking people's posts or maybe a cheeky comment. I like those kinds of like hints rather than someone saying, I love Liverpool and I'd really love to play for Jurgen Klopp. I just think it, it's nice, but you just kind of want it to happen like, you know, just like boom, Liverpool signed Timo in. And instead of Timo being the dude with the sign, just holding up the sign saying, Liverpool, look at me, you know. Because I'm sure Liverpool are very much looking at them, as are a lot of elite clubs in Europe. It's a word of warning on Werner, though, because granted, the Germans are very upfront. Like, if you ask them a question about his future, Timo Werner is going to answer it, his agent's going to answer it, and you're going to get a fairly honest answer, you'd believe. But he was first linked with Liverpool, I think it's probably over two years now, and the sound from the club then was, we've got Ryan Brewster, we don't want him. But the expectation was that Timo Werner would go to Bayern Munich. They'd had these talks for however long his contract was expiring. I think it would have been this summer coming up. And Bayern wanted him to sit tight and come on a free. He didn't want to do that. Leipzig didn't want to let him go on a free. And there was all those rumblings there. It turned a bit nasty. So he signed his contract with this rumoured release clause that will get him out this year. But when he spent a whole year basically saying the exact same stuff about Bayern Munich, his agent was saying the same stuff. And it's only when Munich have seen he signed his new contract go, no, nah, we're not paying anything for you. We want Nodding you free. Then he said he wants to go to Liverpool. And now these sounds are coming up again when Liverpool have mainly backed off a little bit. It's just Timo Werner. It's the way they set up themselves, the way they try and get a move. Uh, it didn't work for him for Bayern. We can't say if it's going to work for him for Liverpool. But if you're a fan or you're working at the club and you're looking at how Liverpool have done their business with all these players, like Kiva mentioned with Fabinho or with like Salah, Mane, there isn't that element to it so it's very different and it's where the clock wants that player who is going to be so vocal and it's about him so to speak when at Liverpool if you're going to be a success you have to be about part of the team and if Timo Werner joined he's not going straight into that starting 11 so it's an interesting juxtaposition there that he's going to have to be something's going to have to break for him to get the move he wants and he might have to just sit tight for another 12 months which he's had to do already 
Yeah, I suppose the only protracted one that really sort of springs to mind, Dooley, was when they obviously went after Van Dijk and eventually got him. But as both Theo and Kiva say, normally Liverpool don't con- conduct any sort of transfer business this publicly. Um, I only think that's a recent development. I think in the past, you know, Alisson was only a couple of years ago and that went on all summer, whether they were going to go for him or not. So, you know, Salah the year before, the initially, you know, they were they knew they were looking for a player. I think it was Brands, wasn't it? That the uh, the, the Bayer Leverkusen, I think. And once it became obvious they weren't going to go, they couldn't get him. They were looking at other other things, and Salah was one of them, and that that worked out for them. So it's probably a bit misleading to suggest that Liverpool do all the their um, transfer business on the quiet. I mean, there's Minamino was fairly quiet. You know, as you mentioned, Fabinho was very quiet, which uh, there's a story behind that one. Uh, and then, then there's, you know, Adrian was done very quickly. Harvey Elliott was done reasonably quickly. But, the, you know, they're not big-name players. The bigger the name of the player, as we've mentioned, you know, as Theo's mentioned with, with Timo Werner, then the more likely it is that it's going to command headlines. And I think... Theo's got a point. I think it's it's certainly at the moment it's a lot more Werner wanting to join Liverpool than the other way around. And I think part of the reason for that is because Liverpool, it isn't so much that he wouldn't get in the starting eleven. I think it's more he wouldn't get in the predicted 11s. But then when the actual games come around, he'd find himself playing every other week or, or, or three out of four games. That's just the way the way things would work. And Liverpool need that option because then they can rotate other players, you know. So... I don't know. It's, it's how much Liverpool will be willing to pay and whether Bernard would be happy to not be considered an automatic starter. Because, to be honest, if any player is coming to any club, let alone Liverpool, and just says, right, I'm only joining because I want to play every week, then you just say, get lost. Because what happens if they're playing incredibly poorly? Then they're still <laughs> expecting to be playing. I don't think it should work like that. And certainly when a team who are 25 points at the top of the Premier League, the world champions, as I say, still the reigning European Cup uh, holders, then... You know, they should be in a position where they're in a position of strength and that they're doing the bargain rather than the player. Yeah, very well put. Well, to wrap things up then, last week we went for a World eleven. We did a team selection because on the Blood Red podcast, we've not obviously been doing our team selections at the end of podcasts and have that itch that needs scratching. So we're going to this week go with another team selection. The idea being this week, the idea behind it actually inspired by our very own Ian Doyle, who's done a piece on the best players to wear shirt numbers during the Premier League era for Liverpool. Well worth a uh, checkout. So we're going to go through a team basically of players as last week, only three players from the current side in these teams, but a different player in every position, obviously with a different shirt number. So you can't have two players with the same shirt number. So the number nine, I'm sure will certainly be up for debate. Although Theo Squires, you want to take rather an alternative route on this. Yeah, I'm putting a protest here because I thought you made it too easy for us saying you can have any squad number from 1 to 66, was it? I wonder why we chose 66. So um, I've done a couple of teams. I've done one where it's just 1 to 11 and I've done one where it's ignoring 1 to 11 completely to make it a little bit more interesting for myself. Well, we'll we'll go through then. I'll I'll kick things off with goalkeeper. I'm going 25 there, and obviously that is Pepe Reina because with three players of the current squad to fit into this side, I'm not going to burn one of those straight out on Allison Doily. I was wondering what your thoughts are. Oh, Allison's the keeper. Allison's the keeper. Allison's the keeper. Yeah, no doubt. All right, so you're you're going safe as houses in goal with Allison <laughs> Kiva. What yeah. are you thinking? I mean, do you have to ask? It's Allison all day. Right, okay. I love Pepe. I'll always love him, but Allison's my man. 
So the number one is the goalkeeper. And Theo, your two choices? Pepe Arena in the non-1-11, Alisson in the 1-11. to all right, so Theo's splitting the uh, the side there. Then, <laughs> uh, going to be awkward. Yeah, he certainly is. I wonder where he gets that from. Anyway, we'll uh, <laughs> we'll go further on with the squad at right back. I I am going to go to our highest number sixty six, and Trent gets in there for me. Doyle, is he making your team? Uh, given the fact we can only have three, then no. Rob Jones is number two. Rob Jones number two. Right Kiva, I am going with you, guy. It's got to be the scouser in the team, hasn't it? Um, he's the future of the club is our trend, so he's definitely in there. And you you, you think that eventually he'll, he'll drop that number down, don't you? What do you reckon? Yeah, you would have thought Not so. from what that story was the other day. Yeah, About I think it's him. Do you reckon? He's the most famous number 66 in world football ever. Route like 23, didn't he? Exactly, yeah. Well, Fowler was 23 before him, wasn't he? Yeah. Did, yeah. I, I thought the Premier League came out with when what was it? Renato Sanchez went to to Swansea and he wanted eighty five. They had a thing about high squad numbers, but I suppose if you're a young player who's come through, then they can't really do yeah. anything about it. And if exactly. you look at Liverpool's squad numbers, they are pretty much all the way from one to ninety nine. Like so many kids have numbers, especially when they've been playing against uh, Shrewsbury and Aston Villa this season. Theo, does number sixty six get in your alternative team? Sixty six is in one. Number three, Stephen, and in the other. Steve Finnan's birthday today, I believe, as well. That is not why I put him in. But yeah, I think the only other options was Rob Jones, but I'm a bit too young to remember Rob Jones playing. Um, I wanted to be a bit sneaky with Arbeloa at one point as a number two, but I needed to save the number two for elsewhere and that one to 11. Well, okay. Finnan. Fair enough. My my two centre-halves then, Van Dijk and Carragher, four and 23. Doily, who would you have at the heart of defence? Yeah, say them two. Yep. Yep. I, I concur. Kiva? Um, I'll 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 throw Van Dijk in, but I'll I'll give you a little left field one. I'll go for Daniel Aga. I think he, he was number five, I believe. Yeah, he was number, number five. five. Yeah, yeah Kiva. Unfortunately, though, you've burnt out. Obviously, all all three of your your current players. So it'd be interesting to see where we go now. <laughs> the what? You're... I don't know what you mean. <laughs> to be honest, I, I'm doing this as we go because I didn't get the memo. So I'm just like. No. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. That's fine. And and Theo, you've got obviously two teams that you've still got to, to lay down. Four centre-backs? Uh, we'll do the 1-11 to first. Uh, number four, Virgil van Dijk, obviously. Um, this is where I've saved my number two. Stefan Oncho, I think underrated player. Well, obviously, we can't do a podcast without you with having a dig at Arsenal. So the fact that he's basically caught out of many shots in the, on the line in the FA Cup final makes him a very good Liverpool hero. And then the other one, Jamie Carragher, 23 and a slight cheat, Sammy Hoopier, number 12. Fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. Sammy Hoopier is first number number 12. Left back, I'm going number six with John Arnorisa because he could hit an absolute thunderbolt of a, a free kick and had a fairly consistent time, whether it be at left back or left midfield. Not always the best player for Liverpool, but certainly gave it his all during his time at Anfield. Doily, who's getting that left back position for you? Um, I'm going to say number 12, Aurelio, simply because he... Um... He's going to be fit for this week. Even though he is made of crisps. And Kiva? It has to be Risa for me. Growing up, my best mate, Danny, he had red hair as well, and everyone called him Risa. And he was literally our favourite player. I didn't even really know what positions they all played back then. I just kind of watched it. And, you know, learning that he was a left-back later on, I thought, he was good, weren't he? Thinking how much he got He got forwards. You never really expected that. Um Love, love Risa. Love him. I suppose he could have gone in as, as 18 as well. Well, Theo, does he make both of your teams? 
Um, if people are counting, I've used my second current player for the non one to eleven. <laughs> <laughs> We're all gripped, Theo. Yeah. So Robertson twenty six makes up that back four, but Risa is in the one to eleven because Liverpool haven't really had many good left backs who have had one to eleven. Like the fact that my first one that came to mind was Kincheski, and then Christian Ziga, Abel Xavier. At least Risa was stuck around a bit, won a Champions League, scored a few good goals. Yeah, Risa. And Jose Enrique was number three, but anyway, you can you you've not gone for him into the midfield. Then I'm going Gerard and Alonso eight and fourteen. Doily, back round to you. I'm going to say the same, but are we based this on the fact that Gerard played in all the teams? So he and like Carragher, he doesn't count because he, he he's a, because you're saying we can only have three from one particular era, but they've been in nearly all every era, haven't they? Yeah, no, it's only three. Yeah, only three of the current Jurgen Klopp. Oh, the current so. team. Yeah, oh, yeah, that yeah. Makes it any oh, yeah. Well, sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm confused. Who who joins your midfield, Kiva? Well, I'll go. I'm just copying you guys. We go to. It's got to be Sissi, hasn't it? And um, absolutely love watching Alonso play. Yeah, they were two brilliant players. And Theo, do they make both of your teams? Um, one makes one, one makes the other. So the non <laughs> one to eleven is a four-four-two, gone old-fashioned. Uh, in the middle, Javier Mascherano, number twenty, number fourteen, Javier Alonso, uh, Raheem Sterling, and number nineteen, Sadio Mane. And then Stevie G with Genie, number five, just to get a number five in the one to 11. It was either Genie, um, Daniel Agger, but then I couldn't make the defence work, or Milan Barros up front. And I'd much rather have a, a good, solid number nine up front than number five, Milan Barros. And Genie Vijnaldum's a, a fairly decent player anyway. I've yeah. gone 4 2 4 with my team anyway, so I'm going to lay out the, the front four straight away. And I, I, I think it's unbelievable if this four had ever played together. Salah, Fowler, Suarez, McManaman. That's exactly my team. Is that's it? Exactly yeah. My team. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> so you've got no, the Mane. Sorry, no, I was going to say Mane, Mane, not Salah. Mane, not Salah. So you've got Suarez and Fowler up front, Mane on the left, and McManaman on the right. Yeah, because you obviously went for 17. Rob Jones over. Yeah. 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 yeah, you obviously went for Rob Jones over Trent Alexander Arnold, which gets you Mane in instead of Mac Manaman. Uh, Kiva, are you still with us? Yeah, I'm, I'm putting Torres in. <laughs> That's what I'm doing right now. Um, I'm also going to keep put Suarez in. And then how many else do we need now? You need two more players. But they uh, can't play for the current team. Who else am I picking? Where, what? You, mm. and they have to have different squad numbers as well. You could have Michael Owen still as a number 10. Um I'm trying to think. To be fair, yeah, I think we we do we overlook Michael in these kinds of conversations. And if I'm putting Agar at centre back, Michael Owen's definitely getting in. Up you, top, isn't it? Yeah, you need one more player, but I can't actually work out what squad numbers um, you've still got left. I don't know, Jamie Redknapp. Oh, that's fair. Yeah, no, he can he can go in. Yeah, that's absolutely fine. And Theo, then to round off your sides. Um, the non one to eleven up front, Daniel Sturridge, number fifteen. Could have had Crouchy, but Sturridge was just superb before he became um, made a paper. And I've got Michael Owen number 18 there. And then the front four, I think, in this other team is just sensational. Mohamed Salah, number 11. Luis Suarez, number 7. Coutinho, don't think we mentioned, number 10. And then Robbie Fowler leading the line ahead of Torres, just because Fowler was God. Torres, he was all right for a little bit. Oh, well, that's probably selling him a little short, but Fowler was just sensational. 
Yeah, Fernando Torres, I think, did finish second as a, a Ballon d'Or contender anyway. But that wraps up our sides. Next Friday, we'll try and get more rhythm to our team selection as we we do try to <laughs> dig out one each <laughs> week. It's a bit less complicated. Yeah, well, I think, yeah, I think it's... five teams next week. Yeah, exactly. No, I think it's worth keeping in. People want our team selections. We'll just uh, go with a different theme for each week. But that wraps us up for this edition of the Blood Red podcast. Guys, thanks a lot for your time and for your company. Also to you listening in. Until next time, though, bye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.